five weeks ago, well, I guess four weeks ago, this is week five minus four. First week, we talked about how Jesus made a promise, right? And this promise was, on this rock, I will build my church, my gathering. And nothing, not even my death, is going to stop it. I will build, not I'm done building, I will build. And so then we've explored why has the church survived for 2,000 years? Well, it survived because Jesus made a promise. And then we've also talked about how first century believers, first century preachers, didn't declare what they believed first. The first thing they did was they declared what they saw, what they experienced. And then out of that, they declared what they believed. And then we saw how the central teaching of the church was not first off, we believe something is true. The, the central teaching of the early church was, we believe something happened. God has done something in our midst. He has raised a man from death. We have experienced the risen Christ. And we can't stop, won't stop talking about it. And so then as we've seen for the last four weeks, the book of Acts, and I'm telling you, we could go for a year through Acts. The book of Acts answers the question, how did the local church begin? Because there was, in the beginning we see there was a promise and coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. There was Peter's first sermon, which in and of itself was a miracle because we talked about how Peter was basically this little coward who wouldn't even proclaim that he knew Jesus to a little middle school girl. And then we see the formation of the early Christian communities as they responded to God's work in and through people. Then we see how Peter and John, they're arrested and they come out of jail. And, and when they come out of jail, they don't pray and say, thank you, God, now we're going to leave. They come out of jail and say, thank you, God, give us more of that. Then we talked about Paul's conversion. And then we looked last week at the first business meeting in the church. And, and do we need to have a surgery to become a Christian or what else do we have to do? And, and so we've arrived to today. And to fill the gap between where we were last week and where we are today is, is you have Paul, who kind of, through Scripture and through other texts, you learn Paul kind of goes away for a little bit so he can be nurtured and discipled in the faith. Yes, Paul, who had this big encounter with Jesus, even he had to be nurtured and discipled in the faith. And so Paul goes away, and then Paul comes back, and Paul, nurtured in the faith now, takes the message outside of Palestine, and for 10 years, he plants churches all around the Mediterranean. It's as if Paul told the apostles, you guys take Jerusalem, I got everything else. And then all of a sudden, it was like, boom! Church starts growing in and around Jerusalem. But here's the thing about Paul. What Paul was doing and what was happening in Palestine was a threat to the established religious order of the day. You see it after Acts 15 as Paul's building communities. He's going around, he's planting these ecclesia, these gatherings all over the area. But as you move toward Acts, you begin to see things change towards the last four or five chapters. Paul starts getting called to the principal's office a little bit more. And those who are leaders of the established religious order, they don't like what's happening. 
Because what they see happening is what happens when the church is at its best. When it is at its best, the church is a movement that crumbles corrupt institutions. And so when the established religious order did what established religious orders try to do, it tried to squash the momentum of something new that could threaten the status quo. And so the last quarter of Acts is gut-wrenching, but it's inspiring in the end. And so this is where our story picks up in Acts 28. And, and what you got to understand is that although Paul, Paul is, at this point, he ends up in Rome at the very end of Acts 28. And he's in Rome to defend himself before the emperor. Because they're going, why are you here? And he's going, why am I here? Rome's going, why are you here? Paul's going, why am I here? The Jewish leaders are going, we know why he's here. And Acts tells us that that Paul first meets with Jewish leaders in Rome. And he meets these Jewish leaders in Rome before he meets with the emperor because he wants to present his case on why he is innocent. And so while these Jewish leaders in Rome, again, it was the Jewish leaders from the other side of the Mediterranean who want Paul dead. Not the Jewish leaders in Rome, not yet. So while these Jewish leaders in Rome know nothing about Paul, they are willing to hear him out. Because they go, oh, he's like us. He's an educated Roman citizen with a Pharisaic family history. We can listen to him. So they give Paul an opening to to do what Paul has given his life to do, and that is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Every time Paul seems to open his mouth... Things happen. Every time Paul opens his mouth to share that, that J name, that G, 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 Jesus name, tensions happen. And so when Paul shares his message with these Jewish leaders in Rome, it gets a mixed response. And then, as things do, when Paul opens his mouth, things turn. Things begin to get riled up. And Paul recognizes what's going on. And so in verse 25 of chapter 28 in Acts, we see that they disagreed with each other. And as they were leaving after hearing Paul, Paul made one further statement. And the statement Paul makes, it terrifies me. Because there are moments, there are gatherings, there are days when I open up the paper, when I read Twitter, when I have conversations with people in our church, in our community... And I notice, I see, I experience what Paul is observing in these Jewish leaders. See, Paul highlights what the Holy Spirit came to counter. And Paul is about to highlight my fear for our community. And here's my fear. My fear is that as the church today, as followers of Christ, I'm going to be upfront. My fear is that we are becoming quiet. My fear is that we are letting others speak for Christianity. My fear is that we are waiting on someone else to lead the transformation in our community. My fear is that we have gotten away from that which made the church, the body of Christ, so unique in the first century. And my fear... Is that the church is drifting more towards being an institution than the movement it was designed to be. 
My fear is what Paul observes. And this is what Paul says at the end of verse 25 and then going through verse 27. Paul says, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah. And here comes Paul's observation. He says, You will indeed listen, but never understand. And you will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes so that they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears. My fear is that we become a community that has lost the awe and the wonder of a living God who is still present among us today. That's my fear. And I can't help but ask the question, have our hearts grown dull? Are our ears tired of hearing? Have we shut our eyes to the effects of sin and its consequences on those and those around us? Have we quit listening to the cries of the oppressed and the marginalized? Have we moved to a posture of fear and not of faith? What was Paul's message that he was willing to die for? What was Paul's message that led him to live out of faith and not out of fear? Well, this is what we see in the final verses of Acts 28, and this is so inspiring. Verse 28 says, Let it be known to you then that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, those other people. Paul says they will listen. And then here comes Paul's response. Here comes Paul's purpose. Here comes Paul's reason for doing what he did. He lived there in a, in a prison for two whole, in a, I'm sorry, he lived in a rented house for two years. And as he lived in this rented house in Rome for two years, waiting, knowing he was going to be executed, as he waited there, He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. Boldness that describes how the first century Christians proclaimed the gospel with their life due to God's enabling through the Holy Spirit. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without Hindrance. This means there was nothing that could stop the spreading of a gospel that proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. Nothing without hindrance. So chained to a Roman guard, Paul is still preaching this bold message of the gospel. And when I say chained to a Roman guard, I mean when Paul wants to scratch his head, the Roman guard has to scratch the Roman guard's head. That kind of chain to a guard. So Paul is awaiting his execution. He is still preaching the gospel, still living the gospel. See, Paul did not stop witnessing to his faith in Christ because he knew, he knew he was part of a promise that Christ made. But then we know how the story ends with Paul. In 68 AD, Paul is executed by the emperor Nero. Because Paul would not stop talking about what he had experienced because of Jesus Christ. Paul's life ended. But his ministry had just begun. 
And I think that's why today people name their dogs Nero and their kids Paul. I thought that was funny again. I'm so sorry. I, my, my, my humor meter is so off. I've been with a bunch of preachers all week. And anyway, so, so this thing with Paul, this, this is the end of what the Bible has to say about the local church. We go, oh, wait a minute, there are all those Ians and other letters that follow. Well, those are letters that were written before Paul died. This is the end of what Scripture says. This is the chronological end. Until you get to Revelation, this is the chronological end of what Scripture says about the local church. And so the primary spokesperson of the church was finished. But the church was just starting because Jesus made a promise. I will build my church. And Paul died for that promise. So grace, let's be the church. Let's be the fulfillment of a promise because that promise is going to be fulfilled. Remember that without hindrance part? God is going to build his church whether we're a part of it or not. See, at annual conference, we were reminded... And I'll put it in our context. God does not need Grace United Methodist Church, but Grace United Methodist Church needs God. And Jesus promised he would be with us while we build his church. And so I ask, if we're struggling to build his church, does that mean is Jesus not enough? And so instead of living out of fear, let's try living out of faith. Let's live out of hope. Let's live out of joy. Let's live out of peace. Let's stop trying to be something other than the church that Jesus promised to build. Let's stop trying to do things that have absolutely nothing to do with making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Let's start doing things that can only be done. Let's start dreaming dreams that can only be accomplished and fulfilled with the help of Jesus Christ. Let's stop being scared of the research that says the church is dying. See, they can write all the research they want, but we're still living on that promise that Jesus made. Let's let Jesus through bread and cup, through baptism, through the living word of scripture, through authentic community, through hope, through grace. Let's allow Jesus to work through us instead of us trying to form Jesus into our own image. Because after all, Jesus is the one who made a promise, not us. Jesus will build Jesus' church. So let's rediscover what it means to be the church. Let's reclaim what ignited the church in the first century. Let's seek to unite generations in worship that brings glory to God, awakens creation to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, and strengthens the body of Christ to influence our community by being lost in the awe and the wonder of a God who loves us and calls us to follow him in here and out there. Out there. I want want you to do something for me. Watch me first then I'll tell you how we're going to do this. Okay? Pay pay attention, okay? You might want to have to loosen your 
Your jacket sleeves up for a minute here, okay? Watch me first, okay? If you were at an annual conference, you saw this done. This was done by my buddy, my colleague, the pastor who married us. I love him that Jonathan Tompkins from Traveler's Rest. He did this at an annual conference, and I said, Jonathan, please send me that. That's how I'm going to end my sermon. So he did. That's how I'm going to end my sermon. So here's what I want you to do, okay? You ready? Don't, don't do it yet. Okay, we're going to do this. I'm going to do this. Then we're going to do this. Then we're going to do this. Okay? You got that? We're going to do it together. Okay? You ready? So if you're too cool for school, get over it. We're going to do it together. Okay? You ready? All right. So let's go. Okay, do it with me. Okay? You ready? Rub your hands. Okay? Church, we just made it rain. Now, now hold on. Now imagine how cool that would have been if it were just me doing all that by myself. I'd have looked stupid. But we did it together. All of us. United. Together. We made it rain. And that is nothing compared to what God is raining down outside our doors, outside our walls. That is nothing compared to God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's justice that God has poured out and makes available to us today. That is nothing compared to what God has done and will continue to do through us, his church. Because of the Holy Spirit, the first century Christians made it rain. They drenched Jerusalem. They drenched Samaria. They drenched Ephesus. They drenched Galatia. They even drenched Rome. They were soaked in the Spirit. They were soaked in the love. They were soaked in the grace. They were soaked in the mercy of God. And it overflowed into their lives. And it changed the world. The first century Christians, like Paul changed the world because they had something so radical, so different, the world took notice. Why not us? Why not every single one of us sitting in this space today? Because the Holy Spirit we have seen, it's made clear. It's available to all of us. Why not us? So let's take a lesson from the first century Christians. Because the goal of the Christian life is not just to finish. The goal of the Christian life is to carry the light of Christ with you to the finish so that the generations behind you can carry the light in ways that we can't even fathom. Because today, we are the stewards of a promise that Jesus made when he said, I will build my church. The fact that you are sitting here today means you are the fulfillment of a promise that Jesus made. And there are generations around you who Jesus has called you, called you to make sure that that promise is fulfilled for them. So let's reclaim the awe and the wonder of a living God 
who with the Holy Spirit worked through his children to transform his creation. So come on, church. Let's make it rain together. Praise be to God. Amen.